in a church? No, okay. Anyway, John Zoll is here to read for us. We are starting a new series in the book of Titus. After almost the whole year in the book of Numbers, we're now in the New Testament to one of the pastoral epistles. And so if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can click on events in that app and find Reservoir Church and all of the notes in the scripture will be there for you. Scripture will be on the screen or if you're a paper Bible person, you can open your Bible to Titus. And we're just going to look at the first four verses today. John will read them and pray for us and then we'll dive right in. Okay, Chapter Titus, one, first four verses. One, one through four. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child and a common faith. Grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're grateful, Lord, as we start October, Father, that uh, time flies. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to concentrate on today, being content and focusing on you. We ask, Lord, that as we study your word in Titus, that you would give Jonathan um, the words that you would speak through him that you would bless him and that you would open our ears and our hearts, Father, that we would not only hear your word, but live it. We love you, Lord. Please continue to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Johnny. So growing in the gospel produces godliness for the fame of Christ. So we're, as followers of Jesus, meant to grow in the gospel, the good news of who he is, what he's done, and what that means for us. And in that growth, there's godliness that happens that will result in Jesus being all the more famous. Now, not long ago, I learned a lesson in growing citrus, which is very important. And that's the, so we've got a little citrus going on um, today. So perfect, perfectly timed delivery from Old Navy, this clearance shirt. Okay. So I'm from Nebraska, so we grow corn in Nebraska, but I'm also a city kid from Nebraska, which sounds weird. So I have like no agricultural experience. We grew beefsteak tomatoes in the garden, and that was about it. But now that we live in California, we have a citrus grove in our yard, which is really just three little trees, two kumquats and a lemon tree. And maybe you're familiar with this reality of growing citrus, or maybe you'll learn it for the first time as I did. But it happened just like this. We were out watering our trees, those kumquats and lemon tree. And on one of the kumquats, we noticed that there was this quickly growing new shoot uh, in the midst of the tree. And we're like, wow, finally, I pulled a big weed that was behind. I'm like, oh, now it's getting the energy it needs to really grow and be fruitful. But there was something that was just a little bit off about the branch that was growing in this tree. Like you were excited because there was new growth, but it just didn't look right. And it blended into the tree, but on closer inspection, the stalk had uh, an actual different shape than the rest of the tree. And the leaves were actually clustered in a way that was different than the rest of the tree. It was as if there was another tree trying to grow up in the midst of this kumquat tree. I have you know, it was not the kumquat tree that you all gave to us 
for pastor appreciation. Was it last year or two years ago? Was it last year? Okay. I don't have room for any more trees, so don't give us any more for that. But it was the one we had planted before then. Then we did a quick Google search. Thank the Lord for Google, because I don't know if it's in the Encyclopedia Britannica. But we realized what was happening, what the growth was, was what they call rootstock, right? Are you familiar with this? That it's just the reality that most citrus trees are actually grafted onto the root system of a different tree. And if a stock grows from below the graft line, it's like a, a, a bumpy line at the bottom of your tree, it's not actually part of the fruit tree. It's a stock from the root system. And it's an imposter. And it's not a good one. And left alone, it will actually take over your tree and produce uh, something that looks like fruit, but is very bitter and nothing like the citrus that it is meant to be. So learning that information, I quickly ripped the stock off the tree. And to this day, I remain a vigilant observer of our citrus trees watching for rootstock. And I often will see new growth. I'll be like, Stacy, did you check it? Is it? And she's like, no, it's not rootstock. Don't go ripping off my branches, right? But I've come to realize that that's just a picture of our lives a little bit, isn't it? Because just like rootstock and citrus trees, there are things in our lives that might try to keep up appearances so it looks normal or good. It looks like the real thing, but they're actually determined to take over our lives and ruin fruitfulness and health in us. So desires for things, success as the world defines it, riches and wealth, all these things that add up, that take us away, that we say, oh, well, that person must be blessed. It looks like a good thing. This really leads to death and bitter fruit. So what does citrus have to do with Titus? Well, and truth be told, we appointed three new elders this year in, was it March, right? And Titus, as you'll see next week, has some really great language about who should be elders in the church. And spoiler, the requirements for eldership is just normal Christian life. So it's, it's a, a pretty easy thing and, and being a dude, but we'll get to that next week. But the, the, the benefit of Titus, so I don't know why I said that. So we were gonna get to Titus sooner, but it took us forever to get through numbers. And so here we are. But I think it's timely for us because as I open the book of Titus, I realize that I am not nearly as godly as I had hoped to at this point in my life. Right? I've been a Christian long enough and I've desired to have more fruitfulness, but I haven't always seen it in the way that I hoped for. And I think Titus serves us. It, is a letter that helps us tend to the orchard of our lives to see clearly and to grow right as we're meant to grow. So this is just a short pastoral letter from the Apostle Paul to a partner in ministry that has a word for the church on what I think is just cultivating a kingdom reality in the midst of an environment that champions what is tremendously opposite of that reality. I just want you this morning to picture an urban garden, this fertile patch of green and life amongst concrete and steel. And it seems out of place, but it's beautiful. And I think that is a picture of exactly what the church is supposed to look like. And Titus reminds us of this. And I need the reminder. And I wonder if maybe you might need it too. 
So what is Titus? Where does it fall in our history of how the Bible came together? We believe Titus was written in the mid-60s A.D. by the Apostle Paul after his first imprisonment and um, between then that and a second imprisonment that will lead to his execution. And we don't know the exact location of his writing. There's some debate where he was when he wrote these letters, both First and Second Timothy and Titus. And despite what is really historically just very recent concern that someone other than Paul wrote these letters, the church has always maintained that these are the words of the apostle to a pastor that he trained and mentored and intentionally left on the island of Crete to establish the church. And it's to Titus, who he calls a true child in a common faith, a Gentile leader we know from elsewhere in the New Testament and other epistles. He's a gospel minister, and he is young in comparison to Paul. And while Paul uses paper and ink, urging Titus to lead his people deeper into the gospel, he knows that that letter is not just for Titus alone. He knows just like a nosy 13-year-old always over your shoulder reading what's on your screen. The church hears this letter, and when they see the exhortations in action, they know that they're actually credible, that Titus is doing what he's supposed to because the apostle has told him to do these things, and not just the random idea of their pastor trying things out on Crete. So likewise, we over here intensely um, on purpose, looking over the shoulder of Titus to hear what the Spirit would say to us as a church today. And I think it's just that reality that growing in the gospel produces godliness for the fame of Christ. So we just want to build on this image of cultivating or garden life. And the, it will start with the gospel being our ground. Then we'll talk about we are meant to grow in it and that grace is our food. So that's where we're headed this morning. We start with the gospel is the ground. And we have a picture of soil. Maybe. It's dirt. Oh, look. There's, it's the start of a garden. It's fertile. This is where there's going to be some planting and some richness happening. And you just follow that image that there is good soil that is teeming with the necessary life for growth. For followers of Jesus, it's where we reside, where we exist with him. And we see in Titus 1, verse 1, 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. And so this is to the elect, those that are in Christ, that believe in him for the sake of their faith, to further their faith and the knowledge of the truth, that they are meant to grow in something. And it's for the sake of that that Paul is writing this letter. And as we'll see, there are difficulties in Crete that actually meet their match in the soil of the gospel, in this truth that Paul is proclaiming. One writer says the church in Crete was plagued by two problems, licentiousness and legalism. And licentiousness is reckless, godless, rule-free living. And legalism, opposed to that, is dutiful, strict, dry living. The first takes advantage of the grace of God. The latter seeks to earn it. And though very different in their expressions, Paul will show that licentiousness and legalism grow from the same root. And that root is hope in the flesh for personal 
fulfillment. Trust in self. And the licentious person feeds on the lust of the flesh. The legalist feeds on pride in his flesh. And both paths result in spiritual fatigue, strife, sin, and eventually hatred of God. And so Paul's saying, don't go down these roads. And he'll build the case for that as this letter opens. And he shows that the answer to both that licentiousness, that free living because you've had the grace of God and you're just imposing yourself upon it. And legalism is actually the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that the gospel alone gives the security, love and joy that the human heart is craving and going after, that the gospel frees us from captivity to the lusts of the flesh and the need to exalt ourselves above others as the absolute approval of the only one whose opinion really matters has been given to us as a gift in Jesus. He's all we need for everlasting joy, and that's the soil that we live in, and it's this truth that stands above all other ways, especially the false teaching that Paul will condemn and that he'll challenge later in this letter. So the truth here is just the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and we see it from Paul in his other pastoral letters as well, and very clearly in the opening to the letter of 1 Timothy. And he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high position, that we, the church, believers, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And here's the truth, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So that's the truth in a nutshell of what Paul is declaring that he desires for the church in Crete to grow in as he writes to Titus. And Paul's writing for the sake of their faith. He labors to see people saved in the way of rescue is the truth of Jesus, right? That humanity is separated from our creator because of our own sin, our own disregard of God. And God gives himself as an atoning sacrifice and then calls us to life in him. It's not trust in self. It's not rejection of God, but it's a recognition of our need and his provision for that need. And we live grounded in hope of eternal life in the soil of the gospel, which God promised before the beginning of all time that has been revealed at the proper time as it was preached, Paul said. The proper time, God manifested what he had planned from eternity past. What God purposed in eternity through Christ, he brought to pass in history through Christ. It's been the plan all along and it's unfolding and now we get to live in the midst of that reality. And so we live then anchored in the promise of God, chosen, given life, rescued. And friends, we don't move out of this soil We don't look for different land that will serve better purposes because there is none out there. This is where all of life is now for those that are in Jesus. And that from his finished work on the cross, we receive righteousness that welcomes us into God's presence. And we are meant to grow in that soil. So we have some growth happening. 
a picture of growth. Roger. Yes, it's good. There it is. Look at that. Oh, it's cute. It's a little Christian. I'm the little shoot next to the bigger one there. I'm just, whew. Lord, give me some sunshine. Right? For the sake of your faith and knowledge of the truth, the NIV says to further the faith of God's people. That Paul's desire here is to assure Titus of his role in what he's called to. But the greater desire is he wants the church in you to grow in this truth that he's been proclaiming. And I think there's two aspects of growing here that we want to notice. And first, it's just a going deeper in the gospel itself. This is an increased knowledge of the truth, seeing more of it, the fullness of the gospel. And many of us first encountered the good news of Jesus essentially just as an exit ticket, right? A, a way to heaven after life was over. It's like get all your living out of your system and then believe in Jesus and you would have fire insurance, right? But because of that, we might wonder, well, isn't the gospel just for the lost, just for our sinning neighbors that don't believe in Jesus? Isn't that just the place like the entry into Christianity that you'd believe the good news? Isn't it milk and shouldn't we move on to the meat of works now finally? Isn't the gospel just the elementary teachings that we mature out of as we grow in Christ? No. We can even consider um, Hebrews 6 verses 1 through 2 where a lot of this thinking may come from and the writer of Hebrews said let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings the laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. If I just take that out of its context in Hebrews and I read that, I say, well, it seems I have to move on from something that was elementary to something that is more mature. And this comes right after the author of Hebrews laments that the Hebrews at this point should actually be teachers, but they are actually in need at this moment of being taught all the more. But it's not a graduating from the gospel that has to occur. It's a going further into the depths of the gospel. Jared Wilson, who's a great author in that vein of gospel centrality, says the elementary teaching in Hebrews 6 referred to the types and shadows of the old covenant about which Hebrews says quite a bit. So the exhortation here is not about leaving the gospel behind, but leaving the shadows behind to walk in the light of Christ. And further, the admonition is to grow up in the gospel beyond initial repentance and individual salvation. It's about following the signpost into the land of destination. It's a call to maturity that is gospel-driven, not post-gospel or even gospel-latent. What Paul exhorts here, and in all of his letters, like this is not something that you can uniquely say, oh, here we go, we got Titus, this changes things, because this is Paul's attitude for the church through all of his letters. It's just going deeper into that of which is of primary importance. Right, The cross of Christ, the news of his victory over death and how eternal living comes from that reality. And it's just the truth that the gospel is like an iceberg, right? So when you come into Reservoir Church, you should say, iceberg, dead ahead, right? Because we're, <laughs> do you get the reference? Are you all too young for Titanic? Sorry. But 
think of it as an iceberg. Above the waterline, we see sin and forgiveness. And we think, well, that's the whole thing of the gospel, isn't it? But it's larger than that because below the waterline, we see all of it. We see the truth of creation, the truth of the fall, of redemption, the outworking of renewal now and the hope of eternal life, which is the restoration that is to come. And so in that totality of the gospel, we recognize our worth as image bearers of God, that he created us like him to enjoy life and relationship. We recognize we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that we are now being transformed in him and used by him to bring life wherever we are, that the church would be those that go into places that they say, that's toxic, that's bad, don't go there but the church actually brings life in renewal because we've been renewed in Christ. And we do all of it with the hope of restoration of all things, a return to the garden. That's why I always wear these ridiculous floral patterns. It's not because I live in Southern California and I want to be like Rick Warren, you know, I'm going to be a famous pastor who wears Hawaiian shirts. No, it's a reminder. We're going back to the garden. There's fruitfulness, there's beauty, there's vibrancy that we're promised and he's bringing us and we only get there in the gospel because all of it's given to us in Jesus. So growing in our knowledge of that truth increases our faith, humbles us and propels us towards others that are in need of rescue. It's like a, a diamond. We notice all of the facets of the good news of Jesus, and it changes everything. It's that which is our treasure, which is of worth. So we grow deeper into the reality of the gospel, but there's another aspect of growth here, and that is in fruitfulness, right? Not yet. We're still on the second point. <laughs> He's ready. <laughs> I confuse Roger. You're a good dude. Keep it up. One of my favorite elders. They're all my favorites. That's why I can say one of my favorites, right? So the growth in the gospel leads to godliness. Did you notice that in the text? That it accords with godliness, what we would call a sanctification or transformation of who we are. Knowledge of the gospel should inevitably lead to godliness. Like Jesus welcomes you as you are, but he does not leave you as you are and godliness should be the natural outworking of the embrace of the gospel one author says paul tells us that this is what truth does it leads to godliness unlike the false teaching which promoted ungodliness paul's teaching of truth as an apostle promoted god-centered living and so false teachers will say that you have to embrace some ceremonial law to be a true Christian or uh, to be redeemed, or you have to gain some mystical wisdom that obviously only they would provide you to be spiritual. And in their false teaching, it's that change precedes rescue. You have to change and then you'll be saved. Then you'll be worthy of the work of the cross. But the gospel says that change comes when you are rooted in it. So change is the produce of rescue. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created for what? In Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Like you're in this soil you're growing, that you would walk in the things of obedience. And we are saved for obedience, not by it. Like Augustine of Hippo, the great North African theologian that set the course for much of Christianity, says, for grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may have the power to do them. So hear this, friends. If you are in Christ, you will be changed. He will accomplish in you transformation in his likeness. It is promised. He who began a good work will bring it to completion in himself. And grasping this doctrine that grace compels godliness provides for us a necessary key to understanding much of the instruction that is going to come in the rest of this short letter to Titus and the believers on Crete. Titus is going to include descriptions of what godliness actually looks like in the life of believers, as we'll see over the next few weeks. And it's going to look different in each of us. Some of the shared realities may just be an increasing distaste for sin that leads to repentance in our lives, a a commitment to Christ and turning away from the things of the flesh or this world. And in increasing desire for the way of Jesus that I've given up on the way of everything else, of my own way even, and I want to follow in his way. It, it's going to include seeing with clear eyes the idols that attempt to grow in prominence of us and quickly ripping off the rootstock. It's going to come with change of attitudes, a change of dreams, of hopes and priorities that match those of our Savior. And it's becoming more like him. And it's more just than like kindness that our culture is obsessed with. And I'm a big fan of kindness. But this develops in us a love of neighbors and not neighbors only, but a love for our enemies Sacrificial living, giving yourself away for Jesus is renowned. And I want there, friends, I want there to be more godliness in me. And I'm so thankful. I've not had a performance review for years. <laughs> it's coming. That's when you appoint new elders. They're going to come for you. But I want to, I, do you feel that ever? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a professional Christian, so I guess I'm supposed to feel the weight of it more. But don't you just All these things are promised, like being more like Christ, like having more trust in him, knowing that we are as secure as Jesus as he is in this moment, seated with him in the heavenlies. Like I just want more ownership in my life of those realities. I want to be more like Christ, to smell more like Jesus, that it would be undeniable. And the way there is growing in the biome of the gospel, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus for us, his spirit dwelling in us, calling us to life and godliness. And he gives us everything that we need, and we just lean into that and expect fruit from what he gives us. 
And the Apostle Peter concurs totally with this reality in 2 Peter 1. He says, His, Jesus' divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We grow in the depths of the gospel and that comes with godliness that increases our growth in the depths of the gospel. We are meant to grow in the gospel and in godliness in our food for this growth. The sustenance that gets us there is his grace for us. Now we're ready for the oranges. And totally why I wore this shirt. Good timing. And I was going to call grace the fertilizer, but it wasn't the image I was going for. Right? The, gross, the gospel brought to light by the preaching entrusted to Paul, he says in this introduction. And in that preaching, he's always on about grace. You can't read Paul or any of the New Testament and miss the reality of the grace of Christ for us, this unmerited favor, and it's the best word to describe what we experience in relationship with Jesus. It's like all we get is all we need, this grace that he has for us. And it's more than just part of his introduction to this letter, but it's what's needed to keep living. When he says grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior, the church is going to need that grace and peace. The covering of sin, forgiveness, a hand pulling us up when we fail for the thousandth time, the light that leads us home, the welcome of Christ for the weary. It's all his grace and it's what marks the community growing in faith and knowledge of the truth is receiving it from Jesus and extending it outward toward others. Just a reality that it's his grace that keeps us. And in it, we know nothing can separate us from the love of God. In it, we know that even our foolishness will not bar us from eternity. When we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. And it's his grace that changes us. How many of you have read War and Peace? Me neither. I watched the miniseries, right? Lovely history, history of uh, Russia and the French War, right? But there is Princess Maria, right? I'm going to get this all wrong. But there is one family in particular that has a terrible father. He's mean to his daughter. He's mean to his son. And he's just completely awful. But all the way through, Princess Maria is just gracious. She's loving, serving her father. And at the end of his life, he gets to a point where because of all the grace that she's given to him, he repents. Says how he loves her. And he 
is asking essentially for forgiveness. And it does weird things to that character, but she actually gets to a place of freedom. But she is like the Christ figure in the picture, always extending grace, even when hatred is what is the response, eventually to the point that the one who hated comes to love. That's us. We're the jerk. We're the terrible father. God continues to pursue us and in his loving kindness brings us to repentance. And that's his grace for us. And it's not a focus on what we are capable of. When we talk about godliness, don't get excited that you come with a resume that is easily built towards obedience, right? Because it's not about what you're capable of, but this is a focus on what God is capable of in you. We sang it. What's the lyric, Lawrence? Not through, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It's just like Miracle Grow. Do we still use Miracle Grow, or is it toxic? No, it's it's good, right? You know, you use Miracle Grow. It's this green chemical that you put into your soil as you're growing a garden, and it's producing abundant fruit for everyone to see. The the difference in the garden, and that's his grace in the soil of the gospel as we live to grow in him. And Paul shows that the gospel presents a fundamentally different approach toward God than the false teachers do. One that's based on hope in God's grace and not on human accomplishments. And grace produces an entirely different kind of fruit in the lives of believers. It's not bitter, imposter fruit, but it's vibrant good, juicy fruit. It's starkly different from the world. And it makes the church that as a garden, a place of refuge to find refreshment and find life. Brian Chapel, a pastor and scholar, says godliness does not qualify us for faith, but Christian faith properly understood is lived faith. The grace that the true faith receives stimulates a desire for godliness in believers, and this is no less true of their leaders. Thus, the grace of Scripture never slights sin, never excuses laxity, never abandons the separated life, but always seeks the greater glory of the Savior that we experience in His grace for us. So growing in the gospel produces godliness for the fame of Christ. This is what kingdom cultivation is all about. And friends, we have nothing else to offer. We just give the words of life that declare Jesus is the gracious king who gives himself so that you can know God, that you can live as you were meant to, experiencing grace and peace for his glory and for your good. There's nothing better. So friends, be rooted Come to Jesus in repentance, turning from self and trust in your strategies and the idols that you've trusted in that were all imposters and instead receive forgiveness in his name and know that he has you. He will keep you and commit to grow. Never move beyond the gospel, but grow deeper in it. Put your roots deeply into the truth of Christ. Cling to the grace of Jesus and know that he holds you by that grace. Just watch fruit blossom as it accords with knowledge of the truth. It is promised. So ask, seek, and then see what the Lord will do in you as he transforms you.
in a world full of imposters. The church has the unique calling to be different, planted in truth, flourishing, to be a hopeful space, secure in the grace and peace of Christ. May it be so in us. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the truth of the gospel. You created us for good works in you, Jesus, and that it's by your grace we are saved. It's by your sacrificial work for us that we can enter in blameless before your glorious throne. Lord, make us a people that grow in the gospel that others would see that godliness would accord with the truth as it's increased in us and others would notice and desire to meet that which we treasure, our King. Lord, have your way among Reservoir Church for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to...